This is District Sentinel Radio, that loud newscast on the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the intern. Nate is not a worker. Studios in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We're still out of town, folks. We're on vacation. We'll be back on August 27th. Between now and then, we're releasing Sentinel Cast interviews on our SoundCloud. This one takes a look at the strides made by the movement to abolish ICE. Sean McElwee has been a big advocate, particularly on Twitter. He joined us in June. Sean has been writing about a lot of stuff, but we've had him on in the past about two particular topics. Primarying Democrats and abolishing ICE. Well, it was a big week for those two agendas. So we brought Sean back on the show to debrief us on where we stand. We had you on the show back in February talking about Democrats who should be primaried. Since then, a major Democrat was primaried in New York, where you are at right now. Joe Crowley, one of the most powerful Democrats in Congress, lost the primary to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a member of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. Sean, did you see this happening? Well, I, I did say on Twitter that if there was a sort of Eric Cantor style upset, um, it was going to happen, you know, in New York, um, in the in this district. Um, you know, I, she was on the District Sentinel podcast, and I, I know y'all y'all pick them good, so I had to assume. Uh, look, I think that everyone is sort of surprised uh, by the margin. I don't think anyone thought that she was going to win with double digits. Um, but, you know, uh, she came to my sort of happy hour a year ago and was knocking on doors, you know, every day uh, at that time. Uh, this is something that she's been organizing this district for, for you know, more than two years. It's just been knocking on doors for a year. And when you see that sort of like long term dedication, uh, I think that that, that created a, a very strong potential for an upset. Sean, you're in New York, obviously. So is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Do you, is it just your lo- location that sort of tipped you off to this race? I know you've obviously been talking about primarying Democrats for a while. My question is, do you see this happening anywhere else right now? Sure. I mean, it's, it's important to note that this is the, uh, as a, it's a 30% white district. So it is an incredibly diverse district. It is close to 50% immigrant. Um, Joe Crowley was sort of weak in that he basically was, was anointed to the seat um, at a time when, you know, Queens was a very different, uh, you know, borough. And it never faced the competitive primary. Um, and he also voted to, you know, form ICE. Uh, and uh, a lot of folks in that district are under an incredible amount of threat from ICE. And then he, he called ICE a fascist organization. And then Ocasio-Cortez says, all right, well, it's a fascist organization. You can abolish it. And he said no. Um, <laughs> so he, he didn't take the primary seriously at all. He, he, he actually didn't even go to one of the debates. Um, he snubbed Ocasio-Cortez and sent a surrogate um, in his place. And I think that for voters of that district, you already had the perception that he was really aloof, wasn't close to the district's concerns. And then for him to take the primary challenger so unseriously 
um, and, and really not speak to the needs of the community, I think definitely put them at risk. Here's what I'll say. I think there's a couple of other interesting primary challengers that are worth watching. Um, so there's Corey Bush in, uh, in Missouri, um, who's facing uh, William Lacey Clay Jr. Um, she, she supports uh, abolishing ICE, and she's running really aggressively on, a, on an anti-mass incarceration platform. Sorry, uh, what, um, what was the incumbent's yeah. name again? Uh, William Lacey Clay Jr. Okay, I, I I thought that was that. I I feel like I've seen him in the House Financial Services Committee voting time after time again with Republicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, this is, again, it's another one of those areas. Really, really deep Democratic district. No reason that the, that the candidate, should, the incumbent, should not be leading on these issues um, and, and sort of matching the progressivism of the district. Um, in Massachusetts 7th, uh, Mike Capuano is facing a primary challenge from Anna Presley. Um, she also supports uh, abolishing ICE. Um, she's, she's running on um, on uh, policies to reduce the racial wealth gap, um, and she's represented Boston in the city council for eight years. So I would not underestimate that challenge. Uh, she has real roots in that district, um, and I think there could be a real upset there. And the last one I would take a look at um, that is sort of in the vein of this style of primary challenge. Um, is actually Tom Carper in Delaware. He's facing uh, Carrie Harris, and she is running really aggressively on his um, votes with the financial industry um, and criticizing him for that, criticizing him for, for voting to, to roll back Don Frank. Um, and she's like a, a community organizer. And one of the, the really interesting things that she's been bringing to bear on the campaign is the way that the, the policy, the rollback of Don Frank, um, harms people who, who live in, uh, in, in mobile homes. And so she's actually trying to organize those voters now wow. and get them out. That's uh, that's that's really encouraging because a sitting senator losing, especially mm-hmm. especially one like Tom Carper and the the, uh, the Democratic uh, contingent from Delaware is just fucking pathetic. Carper and Coons. So it would be really nice to yeah. see. It w- that would be amazing to see. We we almost saw it. Well, not almost, but Paula Jean Swearingen did better than anyone ever would have right. expected in West Virginia against Joe Manchin. So the interesting, the, the interest, thing, yeah. oh, go ahead, Sean. The thing that's really key to note about AOC is um, she, she actually raised about $300,000, which is, is not a, a massive amount of money for a house, but it's a decent chunk. And the last financial filing, she'd only spent about half of it. I'm not sure how much in the sort of last run-up to the election she spent. But she did this. She ran an incredibly effective, efficient campaign. And so much of what allowed her to do that is she said, I don't need consultants to cut ads for me. I'll get some DSA folks to come by. And, and like, you know, DSA people, were, like, we're all young. Uh, we, we know how to do a camera. Like, we know how to write a script just as well as anyone else. And so there is so much of the of that sort of stuff, of the, of the sort of block and tackle parts of the campaign, that if you have really energized volunteers, you don't end up needing all that corporate tax money because people who believe in the cause will do it for you for free. Yeah, and another interesting thing about that victory, and this is something Sam Knight has said afterward, is despite on paper what a massive upset it was. And if you look at the money discrepancy, where the party was, Joe Crowley, the positions of power he had within New York and on Capitol Hill. But after she won, after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won, it didn't feel like an upset. She just ran a much better campaign, uh, was far more effective in her message. And I think that that could that play, I guess, in these other races where afterwards we'll be looking and say, 
it doesn't even feel like an upset. These are just the way candidates can win now if you talk a certain talk and walk a certain walk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that we, we, we are sort of seeing, um, you know, every day the extent to which a lot of the things that campaigns that we thought were essential campaigns really aren't. And a lot of things that traditional campaigns don't care enough about actually really are. Um, you know, like one of the things is, is if you look at a, a consequences policy page, it's really detailed. Like she has sort of very clear um, positions on all the issues. And she actually like lays out specific pieces of legislation um, that you'd be interested in co-sponsoring. And most campaigns don't take that seriously. And on the other hand, you had Crowley who was spending, you know, uh, I'm sure lots of money trying to pull this district. It is basically impossible to pull a uh, primary. And, and, and I'll give an example. Um, the DCCC backed a, a candidate named uh, Winita Perez-Williams against the left-wing candidate who is support from the Working Families Party and local indivisible groups. And Perez-Williams dropped a poll uh, a week before the election that happened the same night as uh, AOC, in which she claimed that she was up by 15 points. And she got roasted. She got a third of the vote. And, and so I think Crowley has these people who are doing polls, and it's like, look, you're looking at a primary turnout of roughly 13%. How the hell do you figure out what your likely electorate is going to be and get a reasonably accurate sense of those voters. It, it's basically impossible to do. Um, and so, you know, like what Ocasio-Cortez did with theirs, like we're going to knock on a lot of doors and we're going to target uh, marginal voters who often don't show up. We're going to excite those voters. And that, that sort of caught Crowley off guard um, because they, they, didn't, they didn't think that those voters were going to be there and turn out at the end of the day. And often you see the professional campaigns overlook things like what what Ocasio-Cortez did on the legislation because consultants, well-paid consultants, tell them that people are too stupid to care. Sorry, I'm trying to yell over an ambulance here. (laughs) I'll wait for it to pass. Hang on a sec. (laughs) Only in New York, right? So anyway... (laughs) What's also, uh, uh, sorry, let me just, I'll, I'll fuck that thought yeah. and we'll move on. The money, dis- uh, the, the money disparity does remind me a bit of Paul Wellstone also winning uh, his first time in the Senate, being outraised by a Republican incumbent by a lot. And people have known this for years, that you can overcome corporate money with volunteers. And I think that's, that's particular, it's particularly irritating when Democrats complain about citizens united because the the the, at least the centrist because what they're really complaining about now is they can't speak out of both sides of their mouth they can't on one hand try to get corporate money but only to a certain point that's that's all they want they just want enough corporate money uh but and the reason they hate it is because they know they can overcome it with broadly popular left-wing policies that excite people and get people knocking on doors and they just never fucking do it because they don't want to do it so they just are reduced to complaining and fucking tearing their shirts over citizens united yeah and it's actually funny because in the actual sort of literature uh of research um if you're paying canvassers you're actually getting less effective canvassers um than if you've got you know really energized people who are knocking on doors at the end of the day um, 
because the, the people who are knocking on doors want you to win. And the people who are getting paid, they mostly just, you know, want the, want you to, you know, pay them. Now, in some cases, that's not true. You know, if you've got a WFP person who's a trained organizer and you, they should absolutely be paid and unionized. Um, but, you know, you also want to have like a, a sort of army of, uh, of volunteers who are energized by your campaign who are just out there knocking on doors and talking to people in an authentic way about like what brought them to the campaign. And, you know, if, if you're trying to have a consultant tell people how to talk about the campaign, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel really inauthentic to, to the voters. They're going to know what's up. Sean, obviously, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going to win the seat in Congress. I guess that's pretty yep. much a, a conclusion. What's your sense on how she might legislate, number one? And number two, I'm not sure if you're actually a part of her district or not, but the far left flank of that district, is it ready to hold her accountable once she is in office? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that I think that there's a, a I think AOC will, will be the real deal um, in, in Congress. Um, you know, so much of the time when people go go squishy, it's because they get to Congress and they have a, they have a new new staff of people. And we'll certainly see, see what happens. But, you know, the, the people who, who, are, who are working on that campaign and advising that campaign um, are, are the real deal. Um, and so if she is still with those people in D.C., I think we would be very comfortable that she's going to come out on stuff like, like Medicare for all. Um, and, you know, I think there's some sense which she sort of uh, has that accountability because, you know, she just won a primary challenge because she knows that it can be done in that district. Um, but, but I think that the way that the left should, should govern, um, in my opinion, is to create something like the opposite of the, the Freedom Caucus and create a, create a left caucus. And it's really important to know, I have no particular qualms with the House Progressive Caucus, um, but it, it's too large. Um, you have about 77 members in there, so it looks like a lot like the Republican Study Committee did um, back before the Freedom Caucus, which is, it's so large, and it has such, like, it has so many people that it's hard to act as a block. If you could get, like, an Ocasio-Cortez to work with, uh, you know, a Jayapal, uh, you know, if a, if a Canela Ng wins, wins the primary, if a Cory Bush or Anna Presley do, and you could get a block of, say, 10 leftist or sorry, 20 leftist um, socialist Democrats, and they could act as a block, they could extract leaderships, oh, sorry, uh, extract concessions from leadership um, and make concrete demands and say, look, if you don't, if you don't sort of vote with us, uh, we're, we're ready to vote as a block. And that, that is an incredible amount of power. And I, I would really encourage uh, these candidates, if they win, to, to seriously consider consider doing that. That's a good point, Sean. And we saw just how powerful just the Blue Dog Caucus was when it was around for a little bit and, and having an effect on uh, the Democratic agenda for those few years that they had Congress in the first two years of the Obama administration. Uh, moving, moving on slightly here, Ocasio-Cortez ran on a campaign of abolishing ICE here she she wins, and about uh, a week later, a few days later, a sitting U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, potential 2020 presidential candidate, comes out in support of abolishing ICE. Yeah, uh, I mean, so we are, and I've, I've talked to Pocan about the legislation she wants to introduce. Um, I think we'll we'll know better when it sort of gets 
out there, and we're going to have you know immigrants' rights groups who who are now very on board with the uh, the policy. Uh, looking at that, here's what I'll say: um, if, if you uh, abolish ICE and you have you have mass deportations still going on, you haven't abolished ICE. Um, you just change the name. Yeah, and it, it and I I think that we have so rapidly moved into it being a part of the discourse that we now have to very aggressively litigate what exactly it means. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm sort of, I hope I'm proving myself, but I am working on a piece on the nation, uh, uh, for the nation on this. Um, I had expected it to come out at a time when Abolish was not quite as mainstream as it currently is, and I didn't expect it to go this quickly. Um, but the things that I, I really try to make clear in the piece is that this is centrally a movement um, about ending deportation. Um, and you really have to, you have to end the word fatigue around what deportation means. And if we are still doing deportations, um, we have not, we have not abolished ICE. Uh, it, it, maybe this is a little too of too much of a, uh, a semantics question here. And you pretty much explained that. The, you know these policy slogans while they're good and uh, at attacking something you you need to have a a, a concrete uh, replacement there or a, just at least a concrete theory of how things should operate afterwards but what do you think of abolish dhs i i am very much um i'm very much interested in that i i support it i i think it's worth having a, a sort of concrete policy lens my, my reasoning behind why abolish ICE is such a powerful movement is because what ICE does is sort of interior enforcement of deportations. And those are things that are very concrete that people can organize around. And, and in, in fact, since the creation of ICE, immigrants' rights groups have uh, organized around deportations. So you had campaigns like Not One More, you know, Not One More Deportation. Right. Um, and you had intense criticism of the rhetoric from the Democratic Party of balance on family. That's a very, I suppose, sexy slogan. But at the end of the day, a lot of people who fall into the felons bucket, you know, in finger quotes, felons, right. um, are folks who, who are victims of over-policing and over-incarceration. Um, so so I think that abolish DHS, I think, entirely makes sense. And since whenever we do abolish ICE, we're going to have the political will to probably, like, more deeply overhaul government structures. Um, I think the power is centrally on the, the fact, though, that these, every time you have a deportation in the community, I know you all have seen it in D.C., we've seen it in New York City, that is, a, that is a moment, that is something that people can get out in the streets and organize around because of how, just how much that tears up the fabric of the community. Sean McElwee, contributor at The Nation. Follow him on Twitter at Sean McElwee. That'll do it for the show. Remember, regular newscasts resume on August 27th. We'll be back in D.C. so you don't have to be.